You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. We've been in a series looking at our life networks. And we all know that there are hurting and lost people there. And we want to be able to help them. But for some of us, some of us also hurt. And we feel lost as well. And looking around our life network, there are even some relationships there that we struggle with. Some of those relationships have let us down, and some of them have hurt us, and some even badly. So how do you minister to them? Should I be expected to minister to them? If they've hurt me like they've hurt me, and if I struggle to forgive them. On the first Sunday of this series, I gave you a little gift, a little red bracelet. Y'all got yours? I know it's not much. They don't give me much of a budget around here. But, uh... <laughs> but my hope was that it would remind you of something transformational. First, the bracelet is red. It is to remind you that God has lavished his love upon you. And by sending his son, Jesus... As your Savior. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 has sort of been our anchor passage through each of these sermons this last month. And this is how it goes. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So this bracelet is also a circle, and it's to remind you that you are at the center of your life network. It's a reminder of the new you that God has made you by the indwelling of you, by his own presence. God lives in you, and you now live in him, as verse 15 says. And that's the new you that you are if you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, it's also a circle bound to you to remind you that you are also part of a God-designed network of relationships and activities. And as a Christian, with Christ as the center of all that you are, you are now a minister of God's love, acceptance, freedom, and healing to that network. But as we've learned, that's not always easy, is it? It's not easy to minister to people when we ourselves struggle. Struggle with knowing God's love, acceptance, freedom, and healing for ourselves. Interestingly though, tell me if I'm right, even if sometimes we personally might wrestle with believing that we are loved and accepted by God, very few of us would hesitate to tell any of the people in our life network that God loves them and accepts them. Right? But if I don't feel very free, free from sin, free from my past, free from my burdens, then I will hesitate to tell the people in my life network that God can make them free, right? There's a difference there, isn't there? We've sort of relegated the love and acceptance of God to these abstract concepts that can't be measured, really. And we, and, and we don't have a problem telling the people in our life network that God loves them and accepts them. That's because they're kind of abstract concepts. You can't measure them. 
But freedom from sin and brokenness, well, that's more tangible, isn't it? Freedom can be measured. It can be seen in others by us. If we say that God freed us from something, well, if I don't feel very free, then others will be able to call that on me. And if I say that God has freed me from something, then i got to stay free. Otherwise, I risk blowing my reputation, and at worst, God's reputation, right? Maybe an addiction, a bad habit, a personality trait that isn't very Christ-like, or it might be a reoccurring sin. If we wrestle with it, no doubt we will hesitate to tell the people of our life network the good news of Jesus, that he can set them free from these things, all because we don't feel very free ourselves. So how can God set them free when he hasn't set me free? See, that's why we struggle to minister freedom to our life network. So let's change that today, shall we? We're going to do it again by re-engaging with our life network diagram as you see it up here. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 says, If you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in you and you live in God. Friends, I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. That is the secret to the Christian life. Because of your faith in Jesus, God has become the most central part of you, of your life. You are now wrapped up in him and he in you. His life in you and your life in him is the most important thing about you. Really, it is. And it's not a metaphor. It's not abstract. It's real. God is no longer on the outside looking in. You don't have to try to beg him or bribe him to be interested in you or in the things that you care about. And that's why this life network is also the key to helping you know how to live out that new you in the life that you live. Let's watch Jesus explain something of this to some of his fellow countrymen. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 31 to 38. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father, the devil. Jesus singles out a group of people who... Recently, recently believed in him. And this is the first thing that we see Jesus say about freedom. Number one is this. This is on your sermon notes. Number one, only Jesus can set you free. So follow him. Only Jesus can set you free. So follow him only. 
Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The tough part about this encounter is that these are people who claim to believe Jesus. Meaning that they had been around him and heard his teachings on the kingdom of God and they believed him. That word believe though is kind of obscured for us. Because we have a a different understanding of what it means to believe in Jesus than they did back then. For us, it's another concept, one of those abstract concepts that can't really be measured, like saying that we love Jesus or that Jesus loves us. Well, what does that mean, to believe? Well, Jesus shows what it means to believe in him. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. One commentator puts it this way. He says that because these supposed believers made such a big deal about being Abraham's descendants in the next few verses, that it would be better to read this as, as, and the Greek supports this, if you hold to my teaching, you are in fact my disciples. See the difference there? My disciples rather than Abraham's descendants. My disciples, not disciples of your Jewish heritage. This is an important distinction on our topic today in that Jesus is saying, if you want to be free, and I think we all want to be free, if you want to be free, then you have to be my disciples and not follow anyone else. Not your religious upbringing, not your friends, not your co-workers, not your teachers at school, not society, not social media celebrities, not your politics, not even your family. And if you're really my disciples, Jesus says, then what I say, my words, will be your standard in everything. No questions asked. What I say about life, what I say about religion, what I say about relationships, about love and forgiveness, about sex, about the things that bind you up, about your addictions, about what you classify as sin, What I say about who and what you are, my words will be your truth to live by. You can't have another truth if you are in fact my disciples, Jesus says. Do you hear what Jesus says, people? Do you hear his words? Because if you want to live free, then this is how. If you want to be able to have victory over sin, then Jesus' words on the topic of what is sin and how to be free of it are the words to live by. His words are truth. And he says that in verse 32, if you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think it's kind of weird that I have to qualify what it means to believe in Jesus in church. But anytime I see people struggling with sin or with forgiveness or with addictions or with their past, it's because they struggle with Jesus' words being the definitive final authority on the issue. What this is, friends, is a lordship issue more than anything else. Will you let Jesus be Lord, the dominant voice over all the other voices that you hear in the world? Will he be Lord of you? Well, until he, until he is, the Bible says we will never be free. Point number two. Your past, good or bad, is your past, 
so leave it there. Your past, good or bad, is your past, so leave it there. Verse 33, they answered Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Being a descendant of Abraham was their identity. And it is a big deal to be a descendant of Abraham. Abraham is the founding father of the Jewish faith, so to speak. Uh, He believed God about certain promises that God had made him about offspring and land and the future Messiah. He believed all that, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness, the book of Hebrews tells us. And because of Abraham's faith, these blessings of God were passed on to the peoples of this world. Who, the same, whoever exercises freedom, whoever exercises faith, just as Abraham did, it will be credited to them. And when you and I become Christians, we become heirs to those same promises that God made to Abe. So Abe is a big deal to us, too, as Christians. And it's a good thing for us to understand then and appreciate our adopted ancestry. But these so-called believers that Jesus was talking to, they were anchoring their entire freedom on the ancestry that they had through Abraham. Verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. I guess they forgot about the exodus and the exile, eh? But Jesus says to them, verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave. A slave to sin. In other words, if you've sinned and they knew they had, Jesus knew they had, then you are not free. And no amount of ancestry will, will correct that. And the same is true for us today. You are not free if you find your identity through your yesterday. For some reason, people take the way they grew up or the things that hurt them in the past or certain bad behaviors that they used to do, and and some people make a badge of honor of those things. They pride themselves on how bad they had it or on how bad they were. They let their story, the story of their past, be their identity today. I once knew a guy that said he was saved. But he liked to tell people how much of a rebel he was when he was a a young man. He loved it when his kids called him a badass. His words, not mine. He relished in his rebellion. Kind of hard to find your freedom in Christ when you still enjoy the old you so much, isn't it? But there's also been people who have come up to me after sermons in the past and have said, you know, Pastor, you don't really know what I've been through. Listen, Believe me, I know hurts, the hurts and losses and the betrayals that people have had, that they've gone through. And I'm not trying to be insensitive when I say this. I'm just trying to bring the truth of Scripture upon our stories. Truthfully, what does anything from your past have to do with who Christ is in you right now? That's something to measure your past by. We need to stop letting the things of our past matter more than what matters now in Christ. If Christ says that his truth will set us free, then we will be free indeed. We are, not, we are free not to let the past dictate and ruin our today. That's the wonderful thing about being a Christian and having your sins forgiven. You don't need to let your past ruin and dictate your, fu- your today or your future. 
And if you're free, you can't choose at the same time to hang on to the things of your past. Whether it's a badge of honor or a badge of shame. You have to give them up. You have to leave them in the past. So we need to choose to make decisions that keep us free rather than keep us in bondage. And sometimes you will have to make those decisions every single day. We can't wake up every morning being a victim of past circumstances and burdens and hurts and abuses and still live satisfyingly free lives today. We have to anchor our life into the life of Jesus in order to be free. We have to be his disciples only. And that will certainly keep us, if we don't do that, that will certainly keep us from ministering freedom to our families and our friends and our churches and our workplaces. God's truth must be authoritative over our circumstances, over our past, over our present, and over our future. When someone hurts you, and I know some people's pasts are extremely painful, but God's word says that you can and need to forgive them says that we must even forgive our enemies if we want to be free. See, if you wade through your life for any amount of time in unforgiveness over something from your past, then you are not living free. You're hanging on to a bondage when you don't need to. You're living in a bondage to that thing, and you will spend a great deal of emotional energy, probably even spiritual energy, trying to keep it alive in your memory. And you don't have to. What if you turned all that around and instead you spent all of your emotional and even spiritual energy keeping your freedom in Christ alive to the point that your freedom in Christ overshadows your past? I think that's the point. Here's how that works. If you understand that God forgave you of all your sin, having canceled everything that stood against you and God, if you get that, I mean, if you really own that, that he took it all away, everything that condemned you, he took it all away, nailing it to the cross of Jesus, then how can you go hold back forgiveness from someone else? If you truly get the extent to which your sin cost God, let your heart take hold of that. Let your heart take hold of that because really, as Christians, we should be forgiving machines Stop letting something that happened in your past matter more than what he has done for you on Calvary. Stop seeing yourself as a product of another person's sin. Stop seeing yourself by your family that you grew up with. Stop seeing yourself as an addict. Stop getting your identity from your past. For instance, what does an addict tell themselves when they call themselves an addict? Even a re recovering addict or even a Christian recovering addict. They're, they're waking up an addict. They're waking up an addict aren't, that, they, that they're still holding on to the possibility that they might fail today. And they'll have something to blame that on. But if God is in you and you in God, then you are forgiven. You are free before God. That's the new you that he paid for so that you can wake up every morning living in that new identity instead of what your past identified you as. You can live like a free person that Jesus paid for, and you've got to leave it in the past in order for that to happen. Number three, you are free because you are a child of God. 
So just act like it wherever you go. You are free because you are a child of God, so just act like it wherever you go. You know what? It is that straightforward and simple. John 8, 35 to 37, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a son belongs to it forever. And so if the son, the son of God, sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. These guys are trying to make a case for their inclusion in God's kingdom due to their ancestry. I did a 23andMe uh, DNA test a couple of years ago. Any of you ever done a DNA test somewhere? I know my DNA is somewhere with some hidden government Illuminati or something and uh, whatever. But it told me a lot of things about myself, things I wanted to know and things I didn't want to know. Clearly it identified me as a biological male, no denying the DNA there. But I did find something about me that I didn't know. Even though my grandparents came over on a boat from the UK, we all we thought we had some British ancestry in us, I, I found out that I'm actually predominantly Northwestern European. In other words, I'm mostly French, German, and some of me is from the Netherlands. 12.1% of me is Russian, Polish, and Ukrainian. And I'm also 0.3% North African. Of course, 23andMe also told me some things I didn't want to know about myself. Like, I have a 76% chance of having back hair. You're not going to find out today. You have a th- I have a 59% chance of having a bald spot. Well, we know that's not true, right? <laughs> but I also found out that I have an increased risk of macular degeneration. Not so good, right? So I've got to be careful. I've got to watch for that. Your family determines a lot about you genetically, obviously. But family also influences a lot about how you see yourself and about how you respond to certain life circumstances. Things that are not usually dictated by your DNA. And I'm sure I've messed up my kids in ways like that, I'm sure, as we all have. But here's the thing for a true believer. Your biological DNA and your ancestry do not determine in any way, shape, or form who you are in God's family. They don't. No, that's now determined by how you are related to the Father in heaven. Looking at your life network again, we've been over this repeatedly, and I hope it lands with you. 1 John 4, 14-15. And we have seen... And we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. When you believe, when you in fact truly believe, it doesn't matter what your DNA says about you. It doesn't matter what your your upbringing influenced you to, to be like. Jesus says this about you when you proclaim him as Lord. John 14, my father will love you and we will come to you and we will make our home with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 to 18, therefore if anyone is in Christ, 
Notice all this in Christ stuff. This is the secret to the Christian life, folks. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Where is it? Gone. Where is it? Gone. And the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Oh, that's awesome. That's truly awesome. By acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, you become an altogether new person, a new creation. That means the old you is gone, true believer. Gone. That means that you are free now to act like the child of God that he made you to be every day. Think that through. Do you have a reoccurring sin? Do you have a characteristic that isn't very Christ-like? Do you have a painful past? Do you have an addiction? Yeah, God could heal any of those instantly. And no doubt you've prayed that God would heal you instantly of any of those things. That would be so cool. But God, and God has done that miracle for some in, that you know of. But perhaps, perhaps you just haven't learned yet. But it's just as much a miracle that God has made you his child. In fact, probably even more of a miracle than that. God has made you his child. That is the biggest miracle in you. The old you is gone. It died with Christ on the cross. You don't have to be devoted to it anymore. And God has made you alive with Christ so that you can call God your father. That's the bigger miracle. But there's even more to the miracle than just a new relationship with God. Colossians 2, 13. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness that was against you, which stood against us and, and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What does that say? Because Jesus took away all your sins, all, not some, not the ones that you hated, all sin. He took away all of our sin by nailing it to the cross because he has made you a whole new you. Because you are now born again as a child of God and all that changes your status with the Father. You can't stand before the, before the Father with an unclean conscience. You had to be made clean and only God could do that in you through the cross of Christ. So you are now free. Your whole slate has been wiped clean. You are now free to act like the child of God that he declares that you are. And if you weren't free in Christ, wow. But because of the miracle of God, God has done all of this for you. You are his child and you are forgiven and you are free to live a free life. Romans 8, 1-3, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Not might set you free one day. He has set you free, free now to stand in the presence of God, guilt-free, no shame, free to be his beloved child. And wherever you go in your life network, that is now you. So learn to wake up being his child. Learn to wake up being a whole new person every day, every, in every way. Learn to wake up free, uncondemned, unashamed, and forgiven as a child of God. 
And when you are tempted by the world or anyone else in your life network to do anything that is contrary to the words of Jesus, contrary to your new status before God as a child of God, your response should always be, no way, I'm a child of the living God now. I am free to live for him right now in this moment, and I will. So back off in the name of Jesus, my brother. Number four. To stay free, you got to make room for Jesus' words. So spend time in the Father's presence every day. To stay free, you got to make room for Jesus' words. So spend time in the Father's presence every day. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my words. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. He's back set up later by saying that your father, the devil. These guys apparently believed Jesus, but they were still looking for a way to kill him. That's an odd kind of belief in Jesus, isn't it? Hopefully none of us have that. I don't think so. And according to Jesus, they were able to say they believed and still wanted him dead because they had no room in their belief for his word. I've met some believers who claim to believe. I think they really want to believe. But their life clearly shows that they have no room for Jesus' words. In other words, they don't really obey his words. They aren't their authoritative thing. I have a friend. She goes to a church once in a while in this town and even tells people that they should believe in Jesus. But she is so bound up in a sin-filled lifestyle that it betrays her belief, and everyone around her knows it. And because she's a friend, I, I thought, really, because I really believe she believes in Jesus, I thought I should be able to gently challenge her on how she was living and what her witness was like. But she pointed her finger at me and said, don't you judge me. What she was saying to me, and by how she was living... She proved that there was no place in her life for Jesus' words as the ultimate authority for her actions. So Jesus' words back up, back up in verse 31 proved to be true. If you hold to be my disciple, then you are in fact my disciple. No one else's. Not even your own. If you're my disciple, then what I say, my words will be your standard. My words will be the truth you live by. But Jesus' words, but Jesus, your words mean everything to me. Well, except when it comes to who I sleep with. Jesus, your words mean everything to me. Except for what I put in my body and for going out with my friends and drinking the night away. Jesus, your words mean everything to me, well, except when it comes to my past. Except when it comes to me forgiving so-and-so. Except when it comes to loving that person at work. Or sharing the gospel with my neighbors. Except. Sometimes, actually most times, a Christian's freedom is compromised only because they refuse to let Jesus' words be the final authority over the way they live their lives. I think that's important enough to repeat. A Christian's freedom is compromised only 
because they refuse to let Jesus' words be the final authority over the way they live their life. How much room, then, my friends, do you make for Jesus' words in your day? I'll let you in on something that is a big deal in the Christian life. Again, again, it's something that many Christians don't want to listen to Jesus on, much less a pastor. Your level of freedom and satisfaction in your faith is dependent on how you spend time with your Father in heaven or how much you don't. John 8, verse 38, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, Jesus said, and you are doing the work of, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father, the devil. We know Jesus spent time alone with the Father. How many times have we heard a preacher say, or quote like Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray? Or, or, Luke, or John chapter 6, verse 12, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. A whole night. And then those preachers will try to make a case for why we should be doing it as well. And we go, yeah, that's a really good idea, preacher. But no, it's not going to happen. Sometimes we assume that Jesus was able to do what he did and knew what the Father wanted him to do because he was the Son of God. And as God, it just came naturally for him. It was a given. No, that's not how it works or worked. John chapter 5, verse 19, Very truly I tell you, very truly, here's the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And that was, the only, that was only possible because he spent time in prayer with his Father and your Father. The Bible is very clear. Jesus came to us to be us, to show us what, how to be like him in order to remain by remaining in the, dependent on the Father. And that's what's missing in most people's freedom, actually. They are not remaining dependent on the Father, and it shows by how they spend time in Him, which then shows by how free they really are, which shows by how they're able to minister to their life network, freedom or not. If we go back to verse 31, there's a Greek expression that develops this point for us. Let's read it again, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, if you hold to, that's a Greek phrase there, meno en, meaning to abide or to remain. If you remain in me, or if you remain in my words, my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That Greek expression, remain, or meno en, is also found elsewhere through the Gospel of John. In John 15, verse, 34, uh, verse 3 and 4, you are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. He's talking to his disciples. And then he says, remain in, there's that Greek again, meno en, remain in me, as I also remain in, meno, en, you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in, meno, en, the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in, meno, en, me. We remain, we abide in Christ when we establish ourselves in Him and we continue to live life by His words as if they were the authority of everything we think and do. 
Listen, fellow true believers, if you want to experience the love and acceptance and the freedom of God, then we have to remain in Jesus. We have to get into the Father's presence often. I would even suggest daily because there's no other way to know the will of the Father for your life. There's no other way to keep those short accounts with God. There's no other way for you to live the empowered life that Christ lived unless you remain dependent on the Father. There's just no other way. There are no quick fixes. And really, that's where the real miracle happens. We want it instant. Lord, heal me of this, that, and the other thing. No, he's saying, I make you an invitation. Come, remain in me, abide in me. Listen to the words of my Son, and I will teach you how to be free. I love you. I accept you. I have made you my child. That is the biggest miracle you need right now. Live in that, he says. And when the people in your life network see you living free, they'll want what you have. They'll come begging for it. And when they see you being so ecstatic and grateful to be living free with a smile on your face, not moping around work and life, they will want what you have. Worship team, come on up. I wish I could read the rest of chapter 8 because it's so awesome. But I encourage you to do so as you go home today. Let's pause and pray. Lord, I know that for some of us here, here in this room, though some online are listening to this message and going, good word, not really applicable. But there's others who are going, I felt so lost, Lord. I have not been free. Lord, today in your word, Jesus has told us what it means to be free. And now it's up to us to believe it, to receive it, and to live in it. We are already free because of Christ Jesus. Our sins have already been forgiven. Our pasts have already been left in the past according to him. Help us learn that in the details of our daily lives. And bless my sisters and brothers that are here today who struggle hard with things from their past. Help them to know the Jesus who struggled in this world too, who was tempted in all things as we are, who was betrayed by friends and family, who went to a cross for the sins he did not commit all for the purpose of becoming our Savior in everything, including our freedom. We bless you, Lord, for what you have done. May we never, ever forget it or take it lightly. May it impact us every day. For your truth we pray. Amen.